I am convinced that if the Ukrainian military doesn't stop and repel that Russian invasion, it's not going to be too long before that Russian army crosses a border that our men and women in uniform are going to have to go and fight under our NATO treaty. Did you catch it? American kids will die for Ukraine. That's what he said. More Mondays here on the Rob Manus Show at the Red Voice Media Network, the most dangerous network in America, because I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to bring you the facts, and that's what the whole network is that makes us dangerous, but it makes us who you need to be watching. Former Vice President Pence, or Judas Pence, just there, said the quiet part out loud, didn't he? He's prepared to send our kids into Ukraine if necessary. The most ridiculous statements tend to come from the warmonger presidential candidates. As you can see, he spouts the tired talking points of the highly discredited domino theory that has been used by the American security state acolytes since the 1960s to send American kids to their deaths or a lifetime of shattered bodies in wars that don't matter to us or our national security. Ukraine's border is not in our vital national interest, period. The counteroffensive drags on, doesn't it? Yes, Ukraine successfully struck a submarine and an amphibious ship in dry dock uh, this past week, and they've made some small gains along the front lines. I mean, like putting your toe over the line, basically. But the Russian armed forces continuously defend and counterattack successfully. The Ukraine armed forces continue to be mired far from primary Russian defensive lines with no positive outlook on a breakout anytime soon. Is it really worth it? Russian estimates of uh, the UAF killed in action is approximately 70,000. Uh, just in the counteroffensive, well, a retired U.S. Navy commander and national security expert, Dr. Randy Arrington, joins us again today to discuss this fiasco. But first, just go bring up pick one again. Okay, happy birthday, United States Air Force. This is all I'm going to say about the F-35. It was a Marine Corps F-35. It's the Air Force's birthday. At least the Air Force of old was a great organization and didn't follow this Marxist wokeism that's going on today. So it's a happy birthday to that Air Force. And it, remember, the F-35 was a Marine Corps F-35 flown by a Marine Corps fighter pilot today when you're making those memes. Well, Dr. Arrington, welcome. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show, sir. In September 18, 1947, the National Security Act created the DOD Department of Defense and it created the United States Air Force as a separate but equal branch of the military. Now, I say that to get a smile out of you, Plessy versus Ferguson, separate but equal branch of the military. And uh, I love my Air Force guys. I trained them for many, many years uh, up in Atlanta. But uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today because what's going on in Ukraine is not getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse. Yeah, and I, I want this this first segment here. I want to talk about the political uh, strategy because war is an extension of politics. We've all read our Clausewitz. Uh, those of us in the military profession and a lot of people today have read some some Clausewitz. So there's a lot of closet uh, military prof uh, uh, professional strategists out there. I'll just say, uh, pun intended there. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's right. Warfare is an extension of politics by other means. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Pence there pretty much aligns with uh, people like Nikki Haley, uh, you know, uh, 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 
Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson, uh, all but Trump and Mr. Ramaswamy. Uh, those are the two uh, presidential candidates for 2024 uh, that have uh, that have pushed back on the idea that the United States has, for some reason, got to be in a forever war, uh, risking American kids' lives. Uh, but this war is especially loved by this warmonger crowd. Uh, I mean, Pence, uh, I mean, he has said that it's not his concern that Americans are hurting and our southern border is not secure and all that. Uh, it's, it's his concern that we get Zelensky as many billions of dollars in sophisticated weaponry as we can possibly get them so that we can defeat Russia on the cheap. Lindsey Graham's actually said that. What the hell kind of national strategy is that? You know, when I look at this and I do my research, I think Washington, D.C. Uh, has, uh, first of all, they have no real mature uh, moderate military leaders or diplomats or uh, people that are in elected office. But I think Washington, D.C. has no idea how to successfully end this war. Uh, and American diplomats, I've heard, are now quietly floating the idea of an armistice with a demilitarized zone separating the two nations, kind of like what happened in the 50s with uh, Korea. But you mentioned it, war-mongering politicians like Mike Pence, who I think I'm disgusted by that guy, Mike Pence, Lindsey Graham, and even Tom Cotton, uh, pushed harder for additional American support and escalation of this war in Ukraine. Why? Because they crave campaign contributions from the military-industrial complex and their donors uh, who get rich from owning stock in companies like Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, uh, Boeing, uh, and Northrop Grumman. Eternal all-power corrupts. Yeah, and Doc, you know, Senator Cotton, of all the four that just signed that letter that came out uh, over the weekend uh, demanding President Biden send more uh, weaponry like ATACMS, a ballistic missile that can reach 200 miles into Russia uh, and everything, uh, Tom Cotton should know better. He was an infantry officer in Iraq. Iraq was a war that we should not have gone into. You know, now I was in the military at the time, and uh, quite frankly, I thought it, it, it was needed because we were in this endless air operation war with it as as part of the Air Force. Uh, and it was it was grinding our our aircraft and our crews up, and uh, our logistics and maintenance personnel were getting ground up in in endless deployments and everything. But quite frankly, we entered it on a lie that was pushed by Carl Rove and Dick Cheney and George W. Bush. Uh, uh, it, 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 and Tom Cotton should know better. All those kids that were just turned into frickin' hamburger meat, lost legs, we opened ourselves up to the Iranians to be able to kill our kids in our, uh, in our vehicles because we didn't have the right kind of vehicles at the beginning of the war. We opened ourselves up by, by not keeping the Saddam's army, professional army officers in the fold and pushing them out to turn them into al-Qaeda or ISIS insurgents. Uh, that's where that came from, folks. Uh, and Tom Cotton knows that. It's just absolutely shameful that he's part of this cabal that wants to keep this kind of crap going. You know, what's ironic is, from, from my perspective, I think Ukraine uh, has been trained to fight. Their military has been trained to fight by NATO, and they're using uh, outdated World War II tactics. 
whereas the Russians are using 21st century warfare tactics. They're using satellite ISR, which stands for Intelligence Surveillance Reconnaissance. They're using those ISR assets to monitor all Ukrainian military activity behind the lines, and then they respond with the, to their great advantage using that 21st century warfare tactics. Now, the United States could destroy those ISR capabilities, but we won't do it because we fear that the Russians will then turn around and destroy our ISR assets. So I think what's happening right now in this war is Putin has chosen a strategy of wait and see and wait and defend against the Ukrainian aggression. Uh, and you know, he instead he can brutally attack the country, uh, but and you know, end this war quickly. Uh, and we have people in the Kremlin who want that to happen. But I think what he has done uh, is chosen to do this incrementally in a wait and see atmosphere because he's trying to severely weaken NATO by, how should I put this, bleeding their assets, both militarily uh, and economically. So I think that's what he's trying to do. And uh, it, it, you know, it worked for Reagan when we defeated the Soviet Union back in December, finally of December 1991. We bled them economically and militarily during the Cold War. And I think that you know Putin is a smart guy, and he's learned that this is something he can do and sustain fewer deaths on his side uh, and I think that's what's happening right now. Wait and see, wait and defend. Yeah, well, I think so, uh, Doc. I mean, is it your assessment? Uh, it is mine that uh, their economy uh, is actually stronger than before the war started and uh, before all these sanctions were put on them because they've been able to establish market uh, relationships and, and use local currency or the ruble or the yuan uh, or bartering systems to be able to get the gear and the raw materials that they need to continue production. I mean, it seems like their production lines are, are more akin to what we had operating uh, before the end of the Cold War and right, you know, and, and during and, and after World War II as far as their, their industrial production and manufacturing capabilities there, uh, which uh, quite honestly, I thought we had pretty much taken them down at the end of the Soviet Union to almost nothing, and that's one of the things that uh, that caused the Soviet Union to fall is uh, uh, they couldn't they couldn't produce anything and uh, they couldn't pay the workers uh, but uh, but apparently mr. Putin has established an economy that's that's uh, financially healthy enough to be able to uh, to run this massive industrial capacity that they have to have uh, and Obviously, the ability to get other gear like the Iranian drones, uh, Chinese materials. Now, North Korea, we see that uh, uh, little Kim Jong-un took his little train ride over from North Korea to, uh, to Moscow to meet with Mr. Putin. Uh, last week. That's one of the developments on this update uh, is that. So uh, obviously the, the North Koreans use Russian Soviet style military gear and produce it. Uh, and uh, now they've got that relationship back up and running uh, if it was ever really down anyway. Uh, you know, so it sure seems like they're rising economically, uh, financially, 
and militarily they're at least able to maintain the status quo in spite of the losses and I don't believe anything about any losses on, from either side really uh, these days uh, uh, you know if you look at the Western numbers projections on the Russians they're taking massive losses but not nearly enough to hurt them uh, when it comes to comparing them to the uh, to the Ukrainian armed forces and the population size of Ukraine versus uh, versus Russia and their eligible pool of, uh, of uh, folks that can join the military and be in the combat arms. You know, I've done a lot of study of the Soviet Union and uh, the history of Russia, and I know that uh, Russia and the people had a longstanding uh, feeling of international insecurity. And if we got NATO to come to the border of Russia, that would trigger World War III. I think the most important thing to Putin, besides protecting the Russians in the Donbass region, is to prevent Ukraine from formally joining NATO. Again, that would put a mortal enemy yeah. on his front doorstep. Yeah, exactly right. The uh, uh, videos of uh, the head of NATO surfaced this week with him admitting openly that uh, that Putin had offered to take war off the table if we we just would back off of uh, Ukraine's membership in NATO. That's all we had to do. He actually offered that, and, and uh, that video just surfaced again. It's been out there before, uh, but people don't believe it or they don't listen to it that the head of NATO actually admitted it in the open. Yep, we, we could have stopped this whole thing before it even got started. All we had to do was back off and say, okay, yeah, we're not going to invite Ukraine into NATO. I mean, even if you're— thinking in the here and now instead of in the future, uh, you could say that and stop the killing before it even got started. Well, let's go over to Spaces. Uh, Shell, you got somebody with a mic over there? I think you're muted. Voice Media, you guys are awesome. Shell, I want to shout out you and Chad down below. I want to shout out you and I'm going to give y'all the credit y'all deserve because you are patriots. I served this country. I raised my right hand. I took the oath of office. I served 10 years. I was a medic with the infantry 10th mountain. I love you guys so much because what you guys do is exactly what I decided to put a uniform on for. But the biggest thing I need people to understand and the thing that should be cut and dry and the thing that infuriates me the most is that we've all took in history. There has never, does anybody know what the word never means? I just want somebody to respond, just one person. What does the word never mean? Of course we do. I hate the word never. <laughs> all right, well, we know. The word never means this. Uh, you know what it means. There's probably not a description. Probably never is the best word to describe never. There has never been in history in history, a political party in power persecuting their leading political opponent. Never in history have they been the good guys, and a lot of people die. So regardless of what you feel about Donald Trump, regardless of what you feel about Joe Biden, never in history has those two things occurred, being in power, and persecuting your leading political opponent, have they ever been the good guys? And that's how cut and dry it should be. Uh, that should be our mantra. Do you have a question for the colonel? I don't, oh, question, oh, question. Colonel, 
<laughs> sir. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so how you doing, sir? Good. Uh, how are you, Pot? And and it's just what's so frustrating to me because of how we've been discussing all these things, but it's never been that. And I just want to know what you yeah. think about that. That's my question for you. You're absolutely right. When a political party is persecuted and prosecute, attempted to prosecute their political opponent, especially their leading one, that party or group of people is never the good guys. Uh, matter of fact, we're going to hear from the good guy uh, on the way back in from this break, which you got to take right now. Uh, we'll hear from him directly, and he's going to be the next president of the United States. We'll be right back to the Rob Manus Show Live. We're going to do everything we can to keep American kids from dying for Ukraine because it's a piece of shit country and a shithole that doesn't matter to us. We'll be right back. We interrupt today's programming to bring unfortunate news. Biden's dangerous plan for a digital dollar is underway. Don't be fooled. It won't benefit you. So take action now. The Federal Reserve's phased deployment of FedNow began on July 1st, 2023. Be prepared. This may catch many off guard and put your hard-earned assets in jeopardy. But here's the good news. There's a simple legal tax loophole to opt out of the digital dollar. Speak to someone at American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide and discover how to safeguard your wealth with gold and silver IRAs against a failing dollar and volatile markets. Dial 833, the number 2 USA Gold. Yes, call now, 833-287-2465. This invaluable guide provides precise steps to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals without any tax consequences. Don't let Biden force you into using the government's new digital dollar. Call 833, the number 2 USA Gold. Yes, call now, 833 833- 287-2465. Act swiftly. 833-287-2465. I want to ask you about something President Putin said about you this week. I don't know if you've seen it. This was very recent. President Putin said, quote, we surely hear that Mr. Trump says he will resolve all burning issues within several days, including the Ukrainian crisis. We cannot help but feel happy about it. What do you well, make of that? Do you welcome well, his support? I like that he said that, because that means what I'm saying is right. I would get him into a room, I'd get Zelensky into a room, then I'd bring them together, and I'd have a deal worked out. I would get a deal worked out. It would have been a lot easier before it started. Essentially, for four years, I kept them from doing anything. Because, you know what, I will tell you this, I've never said this, Ukraine was the apple of his eye. I said, don't ever do it, don't ever do it. He would have never done it. But again, oil prices. He wouldn't have done it because of me, but oil prices. The prices were so high that he had so much money, so he had all this money to prosecute the war. The one who drove up the prices was Biden. Given that President Putin has bombed maternity wards, 20,000 kids kidnapped from Ukraine by Russia, mass graves, do you welcome his support, his all but endorsement. Look, 
I had a very good relationship with him, and yet nobody was tougher on Russia than me. I stopped Nord Stream 2. You never heard of Nord Stream 2. That was the pipeline until I got involved. I said Nord Stream 2. People that were sophisticated military people and political people never heard of Nord Stream 2. I had it ended. The pipeline was dead. Biden came in and he approved it. There was nobody tougher than me with Russia, and yet I got along with Putin. Let me tell you, I got along with him really well. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. He's got 1,700 nuclear missiles, and so do we. But look, that's a good thing. Getting along is okay, but I got along through strength. And the war would have never happened. The war would have never happened. Now what's happened, it's so bad. The oil price is so high. It's hard to get it stopped. The oil price is so high. When he goes above 50 and $60 a barrel, he makes a lot of money on the war. Now, it's a humanitarian thing. It's a lot of different reasons, but I will get that war stopped. Thanks for watching. Stay updated about breaking news and top stories. Welcome back to the Rob Mayta Show Live. We're talking with uh, retired U.S. Navy Commander Randy Arrington. Uh, he's also a Ph.D. with a uh, doctorate of philosophy in political science, a former college professor, author. He's even been a CNN contributor, folks, this guy. So uh, I don't know about his credibility on that one, but, you know, he's been around the block for a while. Uh, let me just uh, uh, say about, uh, uh, about Ukraine, I called it a piece of shit country. It is. It is the most corrupt country in the world. I have a good friend that I've known for years. His wife is from India, and he told me that it, that that is true because and he knows it's true because India is the second most corrupt country in the world. It used to be the first. It's it costs you thousands of dollars just to do simple things like get your driver's license in bribes uh, there. And he told me that it's been his experience that, corrupt, that Ukraine is even more corrupt than that. And I am going to work until I cannot I take my last breath to keep one American kid from dying for that damn country. Because it's wor it's worse than going sending them to go die for Vietnam or for some other stupid reason uh, like we did with Iraq, uh, and uh, we the professional military people have to push back against this and really damn hard, don't we, Doc? Exactly, and I, I you know I, I wrote some stuff down right before we went on the year about my analysis. I'll get that to that at the end, but I think like a locomotive heading over a cliff. Uh, Biden and his Marxist puppeteers are actively driving America into destruction in every sector of our society. Why? Because they want to destroy our nation in a communist revolution and transition to Marxism. Now, Vladimir Putin's a smart guy. He's not the war like people say. He's a smart guy, and he sees and understands what's happening, this dynamic in the United States of America. So all he has to do is wait for the American implosion. Or... Trump's return to the White House. He respects Trump. They respect each other. So, again, I reiterate, a wait-and-see and defend strategy is great for Putin uh, in the current political conditions. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, uh, kids on both sides continue to get ground up in this uh, meat grinder that we've now established. It's a 21st century 
uh, uh, version of World War One. Uh, you know, the Ukraine's, uh, Ukrainians do not have any air superiority whatsoever. Occasionally, they get have some successful target strikes via uh, uh, via airstrikes uh, through various means, like unmanned drones, uh, fighters launching storm shadow missiles that the UK has given them, uh, and those kind of things. But they they have zero air superiority, and the Russians can uh, pretty much roam the entire country from an airstrike perspective uh, through their different systems, uh, at, no matter what, uh, uh, with uh, very little uh, losses other than through equipment. Am I right about that? You are, and that's kind of, if you look back on World War II, when the United States and Great Britain got really, really actively involved uh, fighting uh, over there in, against Germany, we had air superiority. So the, the uh, Germans were forced to move their people at night. They couldn't move during the day, they'd get destroyed. So, you know, Putin right now has air superiority, and he can do pretty much what he, what he wants with his Air Force and his drones and his ISR capabilities. And uh, I just read the other, uh, this morning, Zelensky is actually running out of soldiers and has requested that West, uh, Western nations repatriate their Ukrainian citizens and Ukrainian defectors back to Ukraine to join the war effort. Uh, there's been almost 500,000 killed on the Ukrainian side. I think that's unlikely to happen because Western nations pretty much would know that they're sending these Ukrainian people back to die in the war. They don't want to be uh, held responsible for that. Yeah, I know at least one NATO nation, uh, Hungary, the president of Hungary, said last week that uh, he would not repatriate uh, any Ukrainians that might be eligible for their military conscription program uh, back to Ukraine. He, he's opposed to the war effort anyway, uh, but uh, it sees that there is a peaceful path that uh, the West has intentionally not taken uh, several times now. Uh, the, you know, the first was at the very beginning when Putin offered. You take Ukraine and NATO off the table, and, and we won't do this. But uh, uh, but uh, as pre you heard President Trump say there, that that is exactly why Trump thinks, uh, and he's said it many times, and you heard him say it there, that he can get a deal done between the two countries and end the war, the killing part of it, uh, in 24 hours. Do you think he can really do that? I mean, I, I do. I've, I've listened to him enough. I, I know enough about the situation, uh, both uh, building up to the war and what's been going on lately all the way up to today. Uh, I think it's possible to get that done, uh, but there's going to be some land loss by Ukraine. Well, I, you know, I think what Trump does is he uses all of his assets to his advantage. I'll give you an example. Uh, he had a conversation with the leader of the Taliban, and he told the leader of the Taliban, if you injure anybody from the United States of America, I'm going to come get you. And he told him exactly at that moment, he told him, I know where you are right now. And he yeah. told him, and that's exactly where that leader of the Taliban was. So, you know, he you, he doesn't play by rules. He plays by, I, he plays by this set of rules. We win, they lose. And I like that about Trump. Exactly, and he, and he said in that short clip there that you saw uh, exactly what 
what I believe as somebody who's uh, like you gone through all the war colleges and uh, the, the education and studied this stuff for three decades that peace through strength he didn't say it exactly that way but peace through strength works we learned that with the Soviet experience uh, uh, we learned that uh, and we didn't stay with it because we've tended to go back to our experience that we had with Vietnam and try to recreate that, and it's led in abysmal disaster, even in Afghanistan, where we won the initial response, defeated the Taliban, defeated al-Qaeda, could have turned the country over, back over to, uh, uh, to uh, the leaders that were not in those groups, uh, and uh, we refused to do it and ended up staying for 20 years. AK a la Vietnam, you know? Uh, so uh, the, the crowd that's in power has learned from the wrong lesson. And the person that is vying to come back into power, Mr. Trump, did learn that lesson. He saw it, he's learned it, he's articulated it. He's the only president in the last 30 years not to get us into a, another war. And, uh, and I think he would be successful at that again in a, in a second term if he gets one. Well, let's go over to the audience on Spaces. Shell, who's got a mic over there? We've got Cat the Hammer and Naomi over here. Maybe Cat's got a question for you. I don't know if I have a question as much as a comment. What you were, I was just going to say something, and Colonel nailed it um, about uh, how Trump was what the first president in what thirty or forty years that hasn't got us involved in a new conflict, and yet yeah. here the Democrats are supposed to be the party of you know peace, love, dope, and they are the biggest warmongers ever. They have no qualms about sending our sons and daughters to die for a country nobody over here cares about. Half the people in the United States of America don't even know where the Ukraine is, and they certainly don't align with our values. I don't get it. I just, I don't get it, Colonel. I don't get why, 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 why is the Biden administration so hell-bent on this? Is it, is it the stuff that we always see people posting, you know, money, money laundering or this or that? I mean, do they like have him have, uh, I mean, why? I don't get it. It's, well, it's the Ukraine. Yeah, well, that's, that's a great question. Why? Well, you know, uh, how about uh, $15 million in bribes to the president of the United States when he was vice president to him and his son through Burisma? How about uh, 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 the uh, federal government is controlled by rogue elements now uh, that— uh, pretty much uh, don't care what the pre what a president of the United States says or does, they're gonna do what they think is best. And that's a problem. You saw that in the Trump administration. Uh, the rogue federal government did what it thought was best. And every time that he tried to control it, and he did get control of elements of it at different times, and that's why he had successful policies. But he never did get, he could have had us withdrawn from Afghanistan Early in his administration, he never did get that done. They they waited him out. That's what these rogue elements do in this federal government. The the control of the federal government coming back under the president of the United States completely, completely through Congress's funding mechanisms is the, is the one thing that has to be done in order for us to step away from these endless war policies. And this endless war policy is really dangerous, isn't it, Doc? 
Well, and I'll, I'll uh, go further on what that uh, question was. I can give you the name of one Democrat who was against warfare. He's very suspicious of it. John F. Kennedy. And look what they did to him. He wanted to keep us out of Vietnam. The CIA and State Department wanted us in Vietnam. The military-industrial complex wanted us in Vietnam. JFK said no. And look what they did to him. Exactly right. Uh, well, we got to take another break, unfortunately, Doc. Uh, uh, but uh, when we come back, we will uh, get to Naomi, if she's still got a mic uh, in the audience there, and maybe one or two more if we can. But we'll hear from uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, who was a senior advisor in the Pentagon and the Trump administration uh, and has a significantly different view than Mike Pence does on the war in Ukraine. We'll be right back with Rob Manus live on the Red Voice Media Network. Moms and dads of America, you love your kids, you love God, you love this country, and you're tired of watching companies betray your values and ruin great products. Don't get angry. Invest your time, energy, and money into the people that are building the country you want for your kids and standing for the values that will lead to their blessing and protection. Invest in companies like Brave Books. They are on a mission to create content for kids that is safe for them to enjoy. They have kids' books that teach about character, hard work, and the value of being brave. If you join their Book of the Month Club, you get a new book sent to your door every month that will teach your kids pro-God, pro-American values. Brave books will not betray your trust. Your children and your grandchildren will thank you. Remember, the land of the free depends on the homes of the brave. This one's on me, bud. Time is running out for Ukraine's vaunted counteroffensive. Those are the words of General Mark Milley. As President Zelensky says, Russia has basically stopped anything that NATO has been throwing at them, sort of admitting, really, that they really haven't made much of a, uh, an advancement at all. In other words, this counteroffensive has been a total failure. That's, you know, you don't need to mince words about it. Let's bring in Colonel Douglas McGregor to get some analysis on this. And, Colonel, good to see you. Putin says today in this kind of big speech that everyone's talking about that Ukraine has lost 71,000 soldiers during this counteroffensive that achieved nothing. What do you make of that? 71,000 soldiers killed just during the counteroffensive on the Ukrainian side. Do those numbers sound accurate to you? Well, they're certainly plausible because uh, about four weeks ago, literally a month ago, we counted over 60,000 dead. <clears throat> and that's based on satellite photography, looking at bodies lying on the ground, looking at uh, cemeteries that are filling up. Uh, and also receiving reports from on the ground inside Ukraine about the masses of, of dead and, and horribly wounded people. 
So I, I think it's plausible. Can, can I confirm it? I can't. But I would say that the Russians have been far, far closer to the truth when they report casualties than the Ukrainians have. General Mark Milley is saying that this time is running out here. He, he, he basically says that we've seen some gains or some good progress here. And he said, I, I said at the very beginning of this, that this was going to be long, slow, hard, high casualty producing. That's exactly what it is. But he thinks that there's confidence. He has a lot of confidence that you know Ukraine is going to break through in the next 45 days or so before the weather, the bad weather sets in. What do you make of Mark Milley's comments? Well, setting aside whether or not anybody wants to listen to Mark Milley, uh, I haven't heard the truth <laughs> from that man's mouth for years. He's the ultimate uh, political puppet. And that's, of course, what the current swamp administration in Washington wants, someone who goes along, questions nothing, and supports the status quo. Milley is a fraud, so I would just forget anything. I think we could just end the show right there. Millie is a fraud. Uh, exactly right. you know, welcome back to the Rob Manus show. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to laugh at these people. Uh, Colonel McGregor is exactly right there. General Milley and his staff and his acolytes uh, that are, you know, retired generals and things like that, Doc, they've, uh, they, they, they've been saying this was going to be fast and maneuver warfare a la the United States' ability to do maneuver warfare. Fair. They were going to uh, uh, split the sea to, to the Sea of Azov by July 12th, and it was going to be all over. They were going to take Crimea back, even, and kick, kick the Russians out. Host. And this uh, is not even uh, uh, taking that uh, ability uh, 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 even close uh, to do that. They're in trench warfare. Uh, uh, Commander Errington, uh, I mean, I read something today that they're no longer able to do assaults with armored vehicles, but uh, they are uh, using small infantry squads to take over empty trenches that the Russians have backed off uh, from, because that's all they can do. You know, in, in my uh, humble opinion, Biden's Ukrainian war policies are and have been an utter failure, uh, and they're actually weakening uh, our Western nations uh, economically. Uh, but the good news is Americans are quickly waking up and uh, are now, they now believe that controlling our southern border is much more important than uh, helping Ukraine fight the Russians. And they want to get that runaway train wreck spending in Washington, D.C. under control before we collapse uh, as a nation, which I think is one of the reasons uh, that we're doing that, because the cloud and pivot strategy to weaken our nation and uh, dive into a uh, Marxist revolution. Uh, for, for instance, our government's payments now on interest alone are, I think, just as much as we pay and spend on defense. And also the other NATO nations are also running out of, uh, how should I put this, patience, and they're running out of money for this uh, war effort. And again, to reiterate, we currently, in the United States, lack uh, politicians, diplomats, and mature, moderate military leaders. We just don't have them. Uh, they have been blinded by this warped ideology, and it has basically, again, blinded them to the real truth. On this show, folks, we tell you the real truth. No, no matter how sensitive it might be to your ears, we tell you the truth. Exactly right, Doc. Let's go over to the Spaces audience. I think, uh, uh, the, is it Naomi that's got a mic show? Yes, she does, sir. Naomi, do you have a question for the Colonel? 
Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call, Colonel. Um, it is exciting to have you on board. And my question to you is, I understand what you say when you talk about we didn't learn from Vietnam. I served during the Vietnam era. Do you think this, we know it's not about oil. So I, today when I heard uh, Lewinsky talk and he threatened World War III if we didn't continue to help him and the loss of Taiwan, I get the impression this is about chips too. Taiwan, saving Taiwan, that, keep, that keeps popping up. Why does that keep popping up? And I, and I understand the waterways and all of that, but do you think that could be part of it? Well, uh, the reason why you hear Zelensky and people like Cotton and Biden's team try to link uh, the risk to Taiwan uh, uh, to the Ukraine is they're trying to say that if we fail in Ukraine, China's going to take Taiwan. Well, it's actually, it's the inverse. We are failing in Ukraine, and that's making us weak. And in the, in the concept of peace through strength, uh, if you are weak, that's when China's gonna act uh, and try to reunify Taiwan with mainland China through using force when America is, at, is weak and our allies are weak and we are weakening ourselves. We've been doing it since before Putin invaded uh, uh, by adopting poor foreign policy strategies, uh, supporting the color revolution in Ukraine and ousting a duly elected uh, man from office that happened to be more aligned with Russia uh, than with the West. Uh, all of those things have resulted in us becoming weaker and weaker. When I say us, I mean the United States, and in Europe's case, NATO, uh, and in the Pacific's case, our allies there. Uh, I mean, they've even toyed with the idea, Doc, of, of opening offices for NATO in Japan and South Korea. Uh, uh, talk about out of area and, uh, and another reason why NATO maybe should be disbanded or at least the United States leave it uh, is because it's no longer a defensive alliance and that's what worked in the Cold War against the Soviet Union, a purely defensive alliance. It gave us the moral high ground. We already have, uh, NATO already has an office uh, in South Korea and in Japan. It's not an official office, but what's the difference? They have an office there. And you know when you when you look at it from Putin's perspective, he sees that as an existential threat. And I think that China, uh, even though I don't think they're doing very well economically, they see those types of things as an existential threat. As far as the, the lady asked the question about ships, we can make ships in the United States just as good or better than they are produced in Taiwan, but we're not doing it because they they cost more. Because we pay our people more of the money. We don't pay them slave wages. We pay them more money. But we could do that. We could also enforce the Taiwan Strait and freedom of passage for all ships to go through there. A whole bunch of international trade goes through Taiwan Strait. And that's something that, that uh, the people think we need to keep open. And we can do that uh, as a, a strong Navy. And that's exactly what will happen. I don't think that, that uh, we're going to have an invasion of Taiwan until about 2025, if it happens. And that's when the next uh, aircraft carrier will make three for the uh, Chinese communists. They'll have three aircraft carriers. I think they'll wait till 2025. But guess what? I think by then you'll have Donald Trump back in the White House. 
Yeah, uh, that's where we disagree, uh, Commander Arrington, uh, because, you know, President Chi, he just removed his, his defense minister uh, and arrested him. And that is uh, uh, the tail end of a very long uh, pur set of purges from top leadership positions. Uh, and with, uh, you know, with a country like China, uh, with their economy weakening, uh, they, they need something to provide stimulus. Uh, and when they see us as weakening ourselves intentionally and distracted, looking towards Russia, uh, instead of doing what we should be doing, which is building up our strength and building those ships uh, to, to put in the Pacific. Uh, I live not far from a major shipyard, uh, and our senator is pushing to build more U.S. Navy ships because China's fleet is bigger than ours when it comes to combat vessels. They may not have the same technology as us, but numbers mm -hmm. matter when it comes to a, a big Navy in a big blue water area like the area of responsibility in, uh, in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, the tyranny of distance uh, I think a, a Navy, uh, uh, anonymous Navy uh, writer I saw in one of their writings, uh, the Pacific area is the tyranny of distance. And that's all about logistics and a Navy and good airlift and, and the ability to secure the airways and provide air superiority all over the place. And if you've ever flown the Pacific or sailed the Pacific, uh, like I'm sure you have, I have, uh, it, it is an amazingly huge ocean. Uh, and uh, we don't have the right capabilities focused on the right things. Uh, and we don't, we're not setting our priorities correctly right now. We're wasting that opportunity. And I think that means, and the signs are there, when Chi is starting to remove his major leaders, uh, then he's getting ready to do something. And I think it's gonna happen before 2025. If we don't get our act together, and extricate ourselves from this morass in Ukraine and start focusing on the Pacific AOR where we should be. Let me uh, respond to that uh, so your audience knows. There is no Navy on the planet that can defeat the United States of America's Navy. We win, they lose. Trust me on this subject. But numbers are important and you gotta numbers be able are important. to- Technology you be is more to... important than numbers. But you got to be able. You got to be able to defeat them and defeat them soundly, uh, and they got to think you can defeat them and defeat them soundly, and that's the problem right there. No matter what us military guys say. Well, we've got one more break. Uh, when we come back, we've got a tactical update to the war in Ukraine, uh, and uh, then we'll uh, leave it from there. And one more member of the X Spaces audience will get the opportunity to take the mic. I'm Rob Manis, Red Voice Media Network, where we bring you the facts and the truth, even if it pisses you off. We'll be right back. Attention Americans, breaking news. Biden's dangerous plan for a digital dollar is underway. Don't be fooled, it won't benefit you. Take action now. The Federal Reserve phase deployment of FedNow began on July 1st, 2023. Be prepared. This may catch many off guard. Your hard-earned assets are in jeopardy. 
but there's a simple legal tax loophole to opt out of the digital dollar. Reach out to American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide and discover how to safeguard your wealth with gold and silver IRAs against a failing dollar and volatile markets. Visit protectfrombiden.com. This invaluable guide provides precise steps to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals without any tax consequences. Be smart. Don't let Biden force you into using the government's new digital dollar. Visit protectfrombiden.com to get your free guide and get started. Again, that's protectfrombiden.com. Alexander, let's do an update as to what is going on in Ukraine. And we have uh, Aletsky traveling to the U.S. for a U.N. Uh, meeting, a General Assembly meeting, where Lavrov will also be there. They might actually be in the same room. Uh, we'll see what happens if that does, does occur. And, of course, he's going to be meeting with Biden. And he's going to be running around Congress looking for uh, for money and for support. Uh, the two big items on uh, on the list for for Biden and for Alensky is the 24 billion in uh, military and financial aid, which Congress is kind of holding up, and of course the attackums. A little bit F-16 stuff, but more. I think more uh, more of the focus will be on getting the attackums to uh, to Ukraine, and uh, then we have the situation on the front lines where it seems everything's pretty static. I guess uh, I don't see much movement from the the Ukraine side of things. Uh, rumors about Andrevka being uh, captured by Ukraine, but I think those rumors have been debunked. And um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Andrevka is Bakhmut. Uh, region. So I, I don't know. Is there anything else going on on the front well, line? There's, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing. Focus on. Yeah. Uh, the there's, trip? Yeah. There's nothing going on on the front lines, and in terms of progress of Ukraine's offensive, I mean, an awful lot is happening in terms of the numbers of people who are being killed every day. And um, we've had a report now. There's been some Russian journalists from, a, you know, one of the big media outlets. They've actually gone to Rabotino Verbovo to this area. They've actually seen the situation, and they verify pretty much everything we've said. We've been saying, you know, this area is still contested. There's been no Ukrainian breakthrough. And a point we, we've made ourselves in previous programs, that Ukraine is now reduced to attacking these places and along the front line with men on foot. They, they don't have the tanks and the armoured vehicles any longer to, you know, launch proper, you know, armoured assaults. And, of course, there's reasons why they wouldn't want to do that anyway, which is that, as we've seen repeatedly, when they do try and deploy armour against the Russian fortifications, the armour gets destroyed. <coughs> so the result is that they're attacking on foot, they're taking enormous casualties, and um, some people... and. It's more than one person now. There's been various people who, who track these things. They've been adding up the numbers. They think that the numbers of Ukrainian soldiers killed and wounded every day is now rising. It's now higher than it's ever been at any other time in the war. Um, between five 
I, I've seen one pretty reliable. Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show live here on the Red Voice Media Network. We're uh, uh, here at More War Mondays. Uh, we never run out of war talk uh, to talk about. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've done a Ukraine-Russia war update, and uh, uh, retired U.S. Navy Commander Randy Arrington is uh, my guest today. Uh, Doc, that's uh, that's one of the there. There are a bunch of independent media outlets that uh, I go back and forth, uh, the ones that appear pro-Ukraine and pro and then pro-Russia, I try to balance them out. Uh, that's a pretty balanced one there. I mean, the, you know, when something bad happens on the Russian side, these guys uh, put it out there. Uh, I don't see any hesitance to do that. But really, you know, what they were talking about adds up to the other source I was mentioning is that they're, they're, the, the Ukrainians are no longer to, uh, able to do full-up uh, armored assaults uh, anymore because they're running out of the equipment, uh, or they're holding it in reserve somewhere, but I don't think so. I think they've blown their reserves uh, when it comes to armor and, and uh, infantry fighting vehicles and those kind of things for the most part, uh, and they have very little left uh, until the, unless we're going to replenish them. I'm sure there's a plan to do that. But they're going through it really, really quickly, uh, and they're losing a lot of soldiers now, uh, apparently even more than throughout the war every day, because they're doing these assaults with these small squad-level things, uh, uh, elements, uh, with just men and their their rifles and you know whatever they, they're carrying heavy weapons-wise, handheld. I wanted to respond to something you said earlier in the show. Uh, you alluded to the fact that uh, warfare is the highest form of political policy or political behavior, and that's true. And I wrote this down just before we went on the air. I think Americans are slowly starting to realize that the results of the Ukraine, so-called Ukrainian counteroffensive are as follows. One, Russia will not leave Ukraine. Two, the cost to Ukraine and NATO, both uh, economically and you know, in treasure and in blood, is massive. And the risk of war expanding in that part of Europe is increasing day by day, and it could possibly go nuclear. I hope it doesn't. I don't think it will, but it's on the table. And fourth, countless, and you mentioned this earlier, countless pundits and officials and politicians and media people have lied about the origins of the war, its course, and its consequences. Now, this being the reality, back to politics, you might expect the Biden administration to engage in a major policy shift in its foreign policy. But guess what? It hasn't done that. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is actually doubling down on its war strategy. They're giving more uh, weapons uh, systems to Ukraine, hoping that they can win somehow. And here's why. I think that right now, uh, the people in the White House are looking for a positive Biden presidential legacy. And I think the war in Ukraine is that possibility, which I think is ludicrous. Um, here's what I wrote down. Joe Biden is at the absolute worst president in American history. And yet it amazes me as a PhD that the Biden administration is actually looking for issues that will reflect a positive uh, aspect of his presidential legacy. And it made me think of this quote from the movie Ghostbusters by Winston Zedmore when he was applying for a job. He said, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. 
I don't think you said anything that I disagree with, uh, Doc. Uh, oh. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, uh, we've got a great handle on the Spaces site that's got a mic. Uh, Shell uh, Stalin is laughing. Uh, that would be appropriate to this episode, I think, to uh, have that person come on and ask a question or make a comment. Thank you. Thank you for letting me speak. I don't know if you know the answer to this in general or specifically, but um, I know Ukraine is a very corrupt country and typically in corrupt countries, their military is full of nepotism and cronyism. Do we do we know who is running the Ukraine war strategy? I'm, I, I'm certain it's not somebody like you know, like a, a General Mattis incarnate. Who is running the, the Ukrainian war strategy? Do we know? Yeah, his name is Mark Milley. That's my opinion. That's why it's so bad. I don't know. What That's do you think, right. Doc? Yeah, it's, it's Milley. It's Milley. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the United States. Uh, we've been we've been pressuring them uh, this whole time, uh, trying to get their folks trained. I mean, we did we did what what we would call in my in my service shake and bake training for like the Bradley fighting vehicles, uh, uh, the NATO tanks they've got. Uh, we're doing it with. Uh, uh, with the uh, M1 Abrams that we're giving them right now, we're gonna we're gonna get that done with F-16s apparently. Uh, and, and what it will mean is uh, is uh, utter failure uh, when those forces try to use those capabilities and those tools with very minimal training and experience. Uh, I mean, w w when I when I declare a B-1 pilot combat mission ready they've been through for the first time as a as a lieutenant they've been through a year of undergraduate pilot training they've been through uh, almost a year of b1 academics simulator and flying training just to get qualified in the airplane and then they've been through another year of, uh, of uh, combat mission ready training events that they have to get when they get to the squadron uh, uh, just to be a green lieutenant going into combat for the first time okay uh, and and these folks are not getting any of that uh, and uh, the United States is uh, is really doing a disservice to ourselves and to the Ukrainian people that are dying in huge numbers in huge numbers by continuing this when their opportunities there to come to a peace and stop this killing uh, right away that would probably be acceptable to both sides. Zelensky's been told no three times now by the West. So obviously he's thought that he's had enough on the table to be able to accept to come to a, to a peaceful solution and resolution of this conflict even before it started. And the U.S. said no. Mark Milley has blood on his hands and so does his staff and so do all the retired generals and colonels that are out here helping him and putting the propaganda in the networks uh, and the narrative in the social media to try to keep it going. That's where we're at in, my, in Rob Manus's opinion. Let's get Commander Arrington's opinion. I think another person that's heavily involved in what's happening in Ukraine is one of your favorite people in the whole world. I call her Sticky Vicky Newland, Victoria yeah. Newland. He's yeah. heavily involved in that. And uh, when I think of her, I think of this. When, when you have people who think they're incredibly intelligent or highly enlightened, but they don't realize that they are not, those people are extremely dangerous. If they're ever, ever put in a position 
of power and authority over innocent people. And we can only hope that one day we get competent statesmen, not politicians, statesmen uh, back into our government apparatus that will emerge to take their place. And, and hopefully we can end all this, all these charades and save some lives. I want the war to end, you want the war to end, and we gotta stop the killing, make peace now. Exactly, and there's an acceptable peace to both sides. It exists, we know it exists. The only thing stopping it is American statesmen haven't stood up and said, Joe Biden, enough is enough. Go out and be a statesman, and that's it. And I'll just add one more thing to my answer to your question, uh, Stalin, and that is that, think about this. I ask you to consider that the one Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, I think he retired as a full colonel, so Colonel Vindman was being looked at as a Lieutenant Colonel to be Secretary of Defense for Ukraine. Think about that type of incompetence that they were going to put in charge of the entire Ministry of Defense for Ukraine. The same position that Lloyd Austin's in, uh, and probably equal levels of incompetence, quite frankly, uh, or, or worse. Uh, so that's the type of competence level uh, that we're dealing with uh, probably in the Ukraine Armed Forces. I'm sure there are some good people uh, at the senior NCO and senior officer level, uh, but, but I don't believe that they are in charge or if they are in charge, they're not capable of steering the ship in the direction of peace in spite of what the overwhelming uh, influence of General Mark Milley, Lloyd Austin, and Victoria Newland and the United States of America is. And they and they find themselves unable to put the brakes on this, even though they know they can, and they know there's a solution because they've had it on the table three times now. Well, Dr. Errington, thank you so much for joining us today on More War Mondays, and thanks to the audience over at X Spaces, Shell, and Kat, thanks for co uh, hosting the spaces over there, and Red Voice Media for powering that. We appreciate it, uh, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow. It's Training Tuesday, and, uh, you know, Dr. Erkton kind of touched on it. There's a big fight happening in the U.S. Congress, and one of those congressmen uh, that I know right here in South Mississippi now has a primary challenger because of that big fight and what he's doing, or better yet, not saying he's doing yet. Uh, so we'll be talking to uh, his challenger, Carl Boynton, uh, who is challenging in the Mississippi 4th District to primary the current sitting Republican congressman. I'm Rob Manus, live on the Red Voice Media Network, the most dangerous network in America. And unfortunately, Tucker is still laughing, and it's the greatest laugh in the world. <laughs>